I don't know about you, but one of the things that's most important to me as I age is staying energized and mentally sharp. One of the essential nutrients for promoting these outcomes is CoQ10, a potent antioxidant found in every cell in your body. CoQ10 plays a critical role in neurological protection, energy production, cardiovascular health, and blood sugar balance, and as one of the most powerful known fat-soluble antioxidants protecting cells, organs, and tissues from damage caused by oxidative stress and free radicals. The only problem? Well, we begin to lose CoQ10 as we age and by taking certain medications. Fortunately, there's a supplement we can take to top up our levels. Our CoQ10 is delivered in an oil-based proprietary form and includes natural vitamin E for enhanced absorption and maximum stability. I recommend anybody over the age of 35 or those taking a medication that depletes it, like statin medications, for instance, take CoQ10 to help support healthy and balanced cellular function. I have found in my clinical experience it's very helpful for energy, headaches, and even lowering blood pressure. Use code CoQ10, that's C-O-Q-1-0, for 10% off at yourlongevityblueprint.com. Let's get back to the show. We have inhalant allergies, pollen's high and all those things, and we're sneezing and red and runny eyes. Dogs exhibit the same thing through itching of their skin. Welcome to the Your Longevity Blueprint Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Gray. My number one goal with the show is to help you discover your personalized plan to build your dream health and live a longer, happier, truly healthier life. You're about to hear from Dr. Marlene Siegel again. She's an international speaker and an innovator in integrative veterinary medicine. Her practice, Pasco Veterinary Medical Center in Lutz, Florida, offers the widest array of alternative therapies and detoxification services in the country. She developed her own raw pet food company and supplements, evoloveraw.com. Passionate about education, she has online programs for pet parents and veterinarians to teach integrative vet medicine. She is launching SPAWS, that's S-P-A-W-S, Family Wellness in 2021, which will be detox centers for pets and their parents. This is part two of a two-part series, and I I highly encourage you to go back and listen to part one to hear Dr. Siegel's story and what she feels is a species-appropriate diet, basically raw meat, bone, organ, and fat. In today's episode, we're going to dive further into pet allergies, leaky gut in animals, how to detox our pets, and further optimize their longevity. Let's get started. Why have pet allergies increased? just like they have in humans. And then kind of what are symptoms of dog allergies and like licking the paws, itchy ears, whatnot. But are the allergies essentially a result of leaky gut, which you just said. So can you break down kind of symptoms of allergies in animals? Absolutely. Well, you know, we have this catch-all thing called allergies, and that's what we put into the pot, anything that we can't describe that involves the skin and the respiratory tract. But I don't know that there are true allergies. You know, we, certainly, we have our IgG, IgM. We have our antibodies that respond to the, the toxins that are coming in. But if we go back, ignoring the symptom, and we go back to the root cause, and again, we fix the biology, we'll find that most of those allergies go away. There is a story on my website in the YouTube channel, a dog named Holly, who had come in because she had, she was only four or five years old, big, great Dane. And she'd been to multiple veterinarians, had been on many different antibiotics, all kinds of injections and, and products to stop the itching. And this poor dog was covered in craters. And, and I'm, when I'm talking craters, she looked like the moon and she was incessantly itchy. 
Of course, she was eating processed diet. She was drinking tap water. And so we did biopsies because I was not going to be failure number four. (laughs) So I wanted to make sure I had a definitive diagnosis and there wasn't some kind of red herring in there. And it came back allergic skin disease, which is really not defining anything. It's just saying this dog has very allergic responsive problem. So we immediately changed her diet into a raw diet. 100% raw, changed her water into a more structured, clean, filtered water. And then I did have to put her on antibiotics for 10 days because we cultured two organisms I'd never even heard of before. That's how resistant this dog was to everything. And so she had a 10-day course of antibiotics, but her skin was already clearing up by day three. Her itching had markedly reduced. And two weeks later... I have pictures of her. She has a gorgeous coat. All the skin is healed. All the sores went away. Her hair has grown back in and she has a beautiful, lush, shiny coat. So all of that to say that we don't want to just blame the allergy and then come up with a pill for the ill, a diet for the disease treatment. You have to treat the underlying cause. Now, if they're super itchy, yes, we'll take care of the itching. But typical things that we see for allergies are skin infections. They get seborrhea, the itchy flaking, the sores. Fleas contribute to a lot of that. So we want to make sure that you don't have a flea infestation on your pet because that can set them off in tremendous itching from that. But they can also get ear infections. And many times the original onset will be an ear infection. And why that is, is because the ear is skin wrapped into a tube and stuck down a deep, dark hole. So oftentimes it's ear infections are the first manifestation of leaky gut that is telling us that we have a problem. And then if not taken care of, it'll fulminate into bigger and worse things. And how do you know if a dog has an ear infection? I mean, obviously the animal can't tell you that their ear hurts, but will they try to itch their ear or what will they? Yes. Okay. They're itching at their ear. They're shaking their head. There's discharge, there's smell. So everybody should lift up their dog's ear and look inside and smell it. It should be clean. Hair is in some species. They're going to have hair down there, but there really shouldn't be any other discharge and the animal should be comfortable. So that would be one of your first indications in ear infection that there is a bigger underlying problem. Now we have inhalant allergies, like when we have the hay fever thing and the pollen's high and all those things, and we're sneezing and red and runny eyes. That's how we exhibit inhalant allergies dogs exhibit the same thing through itching of their skin. They'll itch their armpits, they'll chew their feet. And those are indications of of the disease called atopy. But again, it all comes back to leaky gut. So I don't want everybody to get hung up on, oh, my dog has those symptoms. I want you to understand that all disease from allergies to cancer, it's all based on inflammation. So if we can fix the inflammation and we can allow the body's innate intelligence to turn back on again, we can fix virtually anything. There's a few nuances in there. We have emotional component that's involved. You know, there's some deeper messages in there. But for today's conversation, let's yeah, just yeah. hit the surface. We've got to reduce that inflammatory burden of the body, primarily by changing the 
uh, the food to a species appropriate diet. But what are some other contributing variables to the inflammation? So you mentioned glyphosate earlier, which would be found in the foods. What about mold? I mean, to be honest, I told you this before we started recording today, I've treated a lot of human patients for mold toxicity. And I think of well, what about the animals that are also in that environment, right? The humans get treated, and hopefully the animals get removed from the source of the exposure, right? They, the family moves or whatnot, and finally, the, the air is filtered and the home is remediated. But how do we, how do we identify if dogs have, we're kind of going down another path here, but have mold toxicity? Yeah. Is that another variable? And then even what about vaccinations? Can that be another layer of toxicity? Yeah, you, you packed a lot in there. So let's unpack that by going through how do we eliminate exposure to toxins? And I break it down into six categories. Food was number one. We covered that very well. Of course, grass, grass finished, organic, et cetera. And then, and that's with even your supplements and your treats. So a lot of people spend a lot of money on their food and then they go and buy toxic treats and they don't read the label. There's a lot of nasty stuff in there. All right. So number two is water. Do you sell dog treats too? Um, well, we make freeze-dried dog treats. Okay, so okay. yeah, so we try to keep it to healthy foods. Okay, um, and back then, to water. Okay, <laughs> yeah, we're back to water. So water is the next most important thing. And I think we're starting to really understand water in a way that our world has never understood it before and never had to because the water that we traditionally drank was already structured. We didn't have to think about it. But now that we have these civilized cities and we have water that's coming through treatment plants and they're being piped into our houses and all these lead pipes, and we have all these contaminants that are coming through, you know, just since World War II, there's been over 85,000 synthetic toxins, synthetic toxins, your body doesn't know what to do with that, that have been developed and released just since World War II, 1942. And where does that go? Eventually, it's going to go in our water system. So we talk about drinking tap water next to toxic food. That's probably the second most toxic thing you can put in your body. And then people go, well, I drink bottled water. Well, is it plastic? Because you got all your BPA and all of your problems with plastics. And what's the water inside that bottle? Is it any cleaner? Is it structured or not? So let me just unpack structured for a minute because it's super important. So structured water has to do with the molecular configuration of that water. And our bodies are designed to take in structured water. The water that is in our extracellular matrix, all that space between everything, and even in our cells is already structured. Our mitochondria, the powerhouses of our cell, the, where we get all of our energy from, produces structured water. So structured water is really important. What's happening, though, is we're drinking unstructured water. We're drinking dead, contaminated water, and that's causing damage. We're not supporting our body. So I am a huge proponent of understanding this and using the best source of water. Now, for most people, it's going to be getting a machine that is able to make highly filtered, taking out glyphosate, heavy metals, all of that and structuring the water. And in my perfect world, I love adding molecular hydrogen to that water that I'm drinking because- Even for animals? Do you give that to animals too? Absolutely. So the same way we make hydrogen in our body, it's supposed to be made in our gut by our healthy microbes when we have a healthy gut lining. Well, we've just spent all this time talking about how unhealthy the gut lining is of these animals that are eating processed foods that are vitamin deficient, that have loads of toxins. Uh, we just did a heavy metal study with Quicksilver Scientific, and we found on average, 
that animals had five or more heavy metals in their system that were contributing to toxicity. Five or more. I believe it. I believe it. But back to testing in animals, I'm glad you're you're testing. Yes, we test heavy metals as well. Yeah, yeah. So we have food and we have water as the two biggest things. Then we get into air quality and we do have our owners test. They have companies come in or they do a home test kit, whatever. But I live in Florida. So we have leaks all the time. We have high humidity. So mold is an extra big problem in Florida. And again, we have to address it. You have to be testing for it and then mediating it and mitigating it and doing things for the pet that help to support the immune system. But keep in mind that we have organs of detoxification, all of us. The, the pets have six, we have six. It's the kidney, the colon, the lungs, the liver, the skin, and the lymphatics. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why we're seeing so much toxicity is that we've overwhelmed our organs of elimination. We haven't cleaned them and taken care of them properly. So they're not functioning. And now that extra burden that we're being exposed to is contributing to the breakdown of the terrain. And of course, the symptoms that we're seeing. So in unpacking your question, how do we take care of the detoxification process? We detoxify all six organs of elimination. So everybody has their different ways of doing it. For our lungs, we do salt therapy. So I literally have a salt booth in my office. For animals. For animals, yeah. Wow. So the animals go into the salt booth. It helps to detoxify their skin as well because that salt is, of course, antibacterial yeah. and antiviral and antifungal, and it coats the coat, uh, but you're also breathing it. So it's going, yeah. nose. we hold their mouth shut so that they're breathing through their nose, through their nose. pants so that they're breathing through their mouth and it's cleaning the sinuses. It's cleaning the upper airways. And if we can get them to take a deep breath, it's actually getting down into their lungs. So super important. It's like taking a scrub brush and cleaning the ciliary membranes and making sure that they can function because we have so much crud that's on them. I'll tell another quick little story. And this was on me years ago, I was going to go dancing and I'm an avid dancer. And I was out of breath on my second dance. And I thought, wow, that's really weird. I went home the next day. I went into the salt booth. I almost had an asthma attack because I cranked that baby up. And there was so much gunk and debris in my lungs that it just reacted. So I had to take an inhaler and I was fine after that. But I went to the salt booth every day for three days in a row. And my entire ability to have my stamina be able to breathe again was back to normal. But I didn't appreciate that it was gone until I did some high intensity exercise. So for our animals, the same thing is happening. We're not paying attention to the lungs as one of their organs of elimination. And then, of course, we have hyperbaric oxygen that we use, infrared saunas. Uh, We do lymphatic therapy because I think of the two organs in the body that, in my opinion, are the most important, it's the liver and the lymphatics because they do the most work. So we're always doing things for the liver, always making the liver happy. We're doing sauna. We do um, full spectrum infrared saunas. We do special products that help to flush the liver. We do coffee enemas, of course, ozone, hyperbaric oxygen, all of that to help clean. Incredible. And you're in Florida and I'm in Iowa, so you're not close. So I can't take you to see you. (laughs) At our clinic, we have a far infrared sauna, right? We, We have a couple. So you're basically saying I should take my dog in the sauna. Yes. With me. Now yeah. the general rule of thumb for kids, at least I usually say a minute per year of life. So if, you know, if the kids too, they really only should be in there a few minutes. 
a generally speaking healthy dog, how long <laughs> would you dose them? Like, can they go in at full intensity or? Great question. So we go in at lower temperatures as well. So we start out at like 105 degrees because animals don't sweat like we do. So we start at 105. Remember their body temperature is 102. So their normal body temperature is between 100 and 102. So 105 isn't that hot. You get them used to going in there. It could be 10 minutes. It could be 20 minutes. Your goal is 30 minutes but they're still getting infrared, right? Along with the heat. And if it's, again, going to the animal's tolerance, you increase the temperature a little bit, keeping water in there. I would always keep a pet parent in there. So you're watching them and they don't feed it. And then we monitor the temperature. So the whole goal in order to stimulate heat shock proteins, oh my gosh, we could have a whole course on that, but it's raising your body temperature by two degrees. So that's what we're trying to achieve with the dogs or the animals also. Yes. Increasing the body temperature. So you need to check the temperature before you go in. And then your goal is, can you increase that temperature for 10 minutes uh, by two degrees? Now, the other way that we do infrared in addition to going into the sauna is we have infrared pads and they are full spectrum pads and they produce heat and they have jade stones. So there's negative ions that are coming off. So there's a lot of extra pluses that we get from the pads and the animals love it. If you really want to get their temperature up, you put one pad on the bottom and a pad on top. Now you make a sandwich out of them. You got the heat going from both directions. But when they're laying on the infrared pad, they're getting that infrared. It's coming through. And as it absorbs into one area, it will start to disseminate into the rest of the body as well. Just fascinating. It just makes 100% sense, if that makes sense. <laughs> it just makes yeah. sense because this is how I approach humans. But they're, I just, I'm just kind of blown away right now thinking, can I take my dog to our local salt room? Would they allow an animal? Well, many of them don't. And one of the things, I am just the one that raises my hand when the universe says, hey, we need something. <laughs> like, yeah, I keep yeah. raising my hand saying, I'll do it. So uh, we're creating spas, family wellness centers, which are going to be a franchise and they will be all over the world, not just the United States. And in these franchises, they're designed to help people and their pets be able to detoxify on a regular basis. It's really something that our society has lost. We don't clean our organs of elimination and we've eliminated most of our hormetic stressors. I'll define that for you real quick for your audiences. A hormetic stressor is a stress that our bodies were innately designed to understand that helps us to make adaptations so that we could be stronger and better for future. So one of the hormetic stressors was fasting. And we talked about food earlier and what to feed, but let's talk about how to feed it. I don't think I ever answered the question on how to transition slowly. It could be 20% added into their old diet and then a day or two later add another 20% and they get to 50% and then 70, 90, and then you eliminate. So each time you're adding in the new food, you're eliminating some of the old food, right? And then you're doing it to the animal's tolerance. If it's a young, healthy animal, they're going to convert really quick and easy. If it's an older animal, they need, may need the probiotics, the enzymes, the gut repair. They may need other things to help them. I always go low and slow on everything, even my supplements. I tell people, start at a lower dosage and work your way up. Let the body get used to it and then get to your target dose. So we were talking about hormetic stressors. We have in the kibble world gotten used to filling the bowl for our animals and just letting it stay there all the time. (laughs) Well, that's not good because in the wild, they were designed to have a minimum of a 12-hour fast simply because they only hunted at dawn and dusk. 
So everything in between, they weren't eating. And only when they got hungry enough to want to go out and expend that energy to hunt something down and kill it and wrestle with it, did they eat again. But they weren't always successful either. So what would happen when they were out there, you know, they they missed their dinner. (laughs) They didn't catch anything. That's a 24-hour fast, assuming they even get dinner the next morning, okay, or breakfast the next morning. So this intermittent fasting is as important as it is for us, is that important for our pets. So number one, don't fill the bowl. If you're a raw food feeder, you won't anyway, because you're not going to leave meat out all day long. So you need that dawn and dusk or 12 hours apart, and that's your ideal. And then (laughs) don't feed them in between, because that fasting is really important. And I do encourage my owners under supervision to even consider a 24-hour fast once in a while for their pets, maybe just once a week, you know, where you just skip dinner or you skip breakfast and you make it a different day of the week. And that way they go into what is called autophagy. So our bodies were designed to use hormetic stressors to get rid of a lot of our toxins and make them the adaptations. Well, when we are fasting, our body still is working. Our pet's body is still working. You're still breathing. You're still, our organs are working. So they have to find a source of food, if you will, somewhere different. And so what they do is they take the old dead and dying cells and they break them down. They repurpose the parts that they can use. And that's how they keep going. So you, you need to have that period of time where you're not just building, building, building. You got to clean up the debris. You know, we're making trillions of cells a day. I think the number was in the humans, something like 300 billion cells a day that we make every day, new cells. Well, what's happening to the old cells, right? We got to get rid of them. And that's what fasting and autophagy was designed to do is get rid of the debris. So you make room for healthier, better cells. And then temperature extremes is another hormetic stressor where we used to be exposed to the winter. Our animals didn't live inside. They, they lived outside when it was yeah. snowing. They were in the snow or they found a cave, but they got really, really cold. And then in the summertime, they got really, really hot. <laughs> we don't have those extremes because we set our thermostat between 68 and 75 year round, right? So mm-hmm. our animals are now inside with us and they're not getting exposed to those hormetic stressors, which is a, another problem in the, the body's metabolism. And then the third one, is high intensity exercise, which I'm not recommending people with old sedentary animals that are obese go out there intensity exercise. But it's something that as we get younger animals and we are applying all these principles, the right, the right supplements, the right water, the right clean environment. And we add exercise into that so that they are used to having that high intensity exercise. It's literally 20 seconds and then a break, and then another 20 seconds. It could be swimming in the pool. But what is tolerant for that animal? Work with your veterinarian, hopefully a, a good holistic veterinarian, so that you can learn what is safe for your animal to do. Sure. So good, so good. Okay, I want to go back just for a moment. Don't want to spend too much time on this. But I posted, of course, on Facebook before I was going to interview you. And uh, there were a lot of questions uh, amongst listeners. And one of them was, you know, do dogs need all these shots? I mean, do they really? Obviously, to put my dog in doggy daycare, she has to get her kennel cough. And there are a couple that are, you know, supposedly required. But I do wonder, do dogs need all these shots, especially for like Lyme and What's the other one that comes from raccoon pee? Uh, 
Leptospirosis? Yes, that Lyme and Lepto. Yes, <laughs> that, that combo, right? I wonder, because vaccinations have gone up with humans, right? The amount that we're vaccinating humans has dramatically been on the rise. Is the same true in animals? And do animals really need all these shots? That's a great question. I'm going to diplomatically answer that. So I believe that we need to look at our risk factors. If you, let's talk about leptospirosis, for instance. If you have an animal that has a high exposure to leptospirosis, that can be a fatal disease and it does exist and we do diagnose it. So you have to look at your lifestyle. What are you feeding? How healthy is that animal? What is the risk of exposure? What is their immune system like? And then make a decision as to whether or not the risk cost benefit is worth it. That's specifically for leptospirosis. For distemper parvo, there are so many university studies out there now that verify that once these animals have been vaccinated, at least two vaccines over the age of 14 weeks, that most of them have immunity for seven to nine years for distemper parvo. And uh, on the feline side, I don't think the studies are out for them, but we know that they have immunity for a lot longer than one year. It was so important to be evaluated that a lot of the companies came out with a three-year distemper shot for dogs because they knew that that vaccine was going to last longer than that. With dogs, we can do titers. So for pet owners that keep their animals safe and protected, you can consider vaccinating if you have them as a young animal over 14 weeks of age, maybe 14 and 17 weeks, and then do a titer. Make sure that they're showing an immune response to that particular problem, that antigen. And then from there, you can titer every three years. We use a three-year vaccine. So we titer every three years. And until those antibodies drop, we don't revaccinate. That's not 100% of the answer because antibodies don't tell the whole story about immunity, but it's something that we can do for now that gives us some type of a decision-making tree. Rabies is required by law. So you will never hear me tell somebody don't do a rabies shot because it is required by law. I'm not willing to lose my license. And rabies is a big issue if a human is exposed because then they have to go through shots and all that. So I would say when it comes to rabies, get a mercury-free rabies vaccine. So there are out there. You want to ask your veterinarian what kind of vaccine do they have and is it free of thimerosal? Do it according to the instructions of your state and your city. For us, we can do a three-year vaccine after the first year. And then for people who don't want to vaccinate, I would just say, use your own guidance. You know, if you don't want to vaccinate, then that's your choice. Just like I personally am not going to vaccinate myself. I haven't vaccinated myself for anything since I was a kid and I don't intend to now. So I just will make sure that my immune system is as strong as I can make it. And I'm going to take care of my body in the best way possible. And the principles that we talked about before, the good food, the good water, eliminating toxins from the environment, et cetera, et cetera. And then with all of that, good judgment as to where I'm going to expose myself to problems, you know, and is it worth it or not? Yeah. Good answer. I want to stay on the concept of toxicity just for a minute because I want to make sure we get into EMFs. But before we get to EMFs, are dog toys, kind of like how when I had an infant chewing on teethers, whatnot, just like how those can contain toxins, can a lot of dog toys like chew toys also contain uh, endocrine disrupting chemicals, chemicals that cause cancer? I mean, are, is there, are there healthy 
dog chew toys we should be also looking for? Am I kind of thinking right there? You are. I, I don't know if that's the biggest problem that we deal with, because I think food, water, and environment are the biggest, and then EMF, which we'll get to. I think those are the biggest, but certainly we are seeing that there are toxins in some of the toys. So gotta, what is the material made up of? What I see more than even the toxins are foreign body ingestion, where the toy can get ripped up or parts of it can be swallowed. And then the animal can have a foreign body, which sometimes has to be surgically removed. Sure. Let's go to EMFs. So yeah, to, to make sure I answer that question, though, yes, I just want to make sure I answered it, is like anything else, read your labels, know what the material is made up of. And if it's impregnated with formaldehyde or things that are going to be toxic, don't use it. We also use EWG.org, the Environmental Working Group Association, because they have a lot of products that they list on their site. It's free and you can look it up and see what is the rating for those products. Right. Totally. Yes. We heavily talk about that on the, on the show. Cartilage is the spongy tissue that helps to cushion our joints. Due to lifestyle factors like high-impact movement or exercise or simply as we age, the cartilage we have can begin to degrade. This degradation can lead to joint pain stiffness and can drive inflammation in our joints. One way to help stop and reverse this degradation is by supplementing with the precursors to give our body the building blocks to make more of its own cartilage naturally. This is why I recommend joint support to my patients with joint pain. Joint support contains glucosamine and chondroitin sulfate, which are key components of building cartilage tissue. In addition, it also contains all the necessary cofactors to rebuild like vitamin C, sodium, and potassium. Use code JOIN SUPPORT for 10% off at yourlongevityblueprint.com. I do want to talk about EMFs because we've also talked about the dangers of, of EMFs with humans. And I do believe they can damage DNA. They can cause a lot of excitotoxicity or excitation, I should say, causing anxiety and insomnia and palpitations and whatnot. I've heard you say before that it's important to shut off your Wi-Fi even during the day because why should your animal, your animal's not using a smartphone during the day. So like, why should they be subject to Wi-Fi all day long? Absolutely. Tell me your opinion on EMFs. And is there in a, a correlation or association between EMF exposure and then neurological disorders like seizures in animals? Do you, do you believe that? Absolutely. I think we're seeing the same ramifications that we're seeing in people in animals. And I recently came across an article that was talking about how EMFs are, be, are now being shown to be DNA disruptors. So they're actually creating folding of proteins and actually damaging our DNA. So I think we all knew that all along, but now it's becoming even much bigger of a topic as 5G gets rolled out on us. What we need to try to do is mitigate as much as we possibly can how much exposure we have. Well, the only way to know what your exposure is, is to test for it. So I'm a big advocate for testing and they make meters now that are, they're not expensive, maybe a couple hundred dollars. And you can go around and test your dirty electricity, the amount of EMF, your overhead. There's so much that you want to be looking for. So you contact me or I'm sure you guys have a lot as well, but anybody wants to private message me, I'll give them some resources for people that are really, really good in the EMF world and uh, can make recommendations for some of the newer meters that are out there. So number one, you have to test. Number two, for the ability to mitigate damage from EMF is distance. 
So either turning it off or getting farther away from it. Those are your two biggest things that you can do. I've heard of individuals having their router sitting on top of the dog cage. And that just makes me sick to my stomach because then then your dog is getting blasted with radiation, essentially. So yes, to distance, I applaud that. Yeah. So you do not, you want to know where your routers are. And if you have a smart meter, try to get rid of it. I have these great stories. So my property, I have a food forest literally on a little third of an acre and my property is fenced in. So the meter people wanted to come in and read the meter and they haven't been able to. So I just read it for them and I send it. Well, my gate was open. I had some workers here. So it just happened to be the meter guy came by and he was going to install a smart meter without asking me. And I get a notice that he couldn't get to the meter because there were too many plants in front of it. It was oh right gosh. where all my ginger grows and my turmeric. Well, that worked out in your <laughs> so favor. He, thank <laughs> God he couldn't get to it. And they threatened that they were going to force me into a 5G meter. And I said, well, I'll just have my attorney pick up from there because I'm, you know, we have health challenges and I'm not willing to have a 5G meter. And I haven't heard a peep from them since. That's been almost eight months. Yeah, good. We have to push back a little bit, but mm-hmm. if you can avoid a smart meter at all means, do that. Number one, test. Number two, get distance. Number three is turning it off as much as you can and hardwiring. When I built my house, yep. <laughs> we went through all this expense to go Wi-Fi. But you know, back then it was 20 years ago. Who knew? And now I called the same company back out and they said, can you hardwire all my rooms, please? And so I just went back and just hardwired everything. And if you live under power lines or right near a cell tower, you can try to mitigate. I mean, there are, you know, EMF blocking paints that exist and what you can try to mitigate, but you might want to move. That's just something else to consider. On the line of toxicity, I want to ask about lipomas because I feel like animals get these growths. And do you mm-hmm. feel like that is the, the root cause of that is toxicity? Inflammation and toxicity, yeah. In Chinese medicine, they call lipomas qi stagnation. So things aren't moving. We can actually improve them through lymphatic therapy. So I think it has a lot to do with the fact that our qi is stagnant and the lymph is stagnant. And we're just, we're not doing the things that help our lymph to keep moving right? When we use a rebounder now, but that's not exactly in nature. <laughs> you, know, you don't go out and find rebounders in nature, but we did run and play and exercise. So that's part of my routine. And for the animals, we try to get them on little trampolines lightly, you know, get them to jump up and down a little bit with their owners or massages. I do a particular procedure called assisted lymphatic therapy. And we use a machine that has glass probes and it produces a microcurrent negative ions and it uses inert noble gases. So you're going over the body, opening up the ports where the drainage occurs. And then we decongest the body and sweep into the areas where that lymph has to flow into. And we find that's very effective. Again, makes sense that even getting your animal into a sauna could help there as well, I assume. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Everything that we do, the whole premise for spas was, did we talk about spas already? A little bit. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, they're detox centers for people and their pets, but step number one in detoxification is you have to become in a parasympathetic state. Mm. Let me define that for the pet parents here. So we have an autonomic nervous system that has two branches. Imagine I I have a teeter-totter here. We have a sympathetic and a parasympathetic. 
and they're designed to be in balance until you need one or the other. So when danger is eminent, you need your parasympathetic side to get fully turned on so that you can run and fight and and get away from the bear or, or beat the bear up so that you can live. But we were designed once the danger is gone for the sympathetic side to go down. And then your parasympathetic side is your rest, repair, digest, detoxify, and reproduction. So if you're running away from a saber-toothed tiger, you really aren't thinking about what you want to eat for dinner, who you're going to have sex with, and if you have to pee or poo. It's not important because your only concern is running away from the bear. But when the bear is gone then your parasympathetic side kicks in and does all the rest. Mm-hmm. And that's how we rest, repair, and we digest. So it's super important that in today's society, we acknowledge that a majority of people are stuck in sympathetic tone mm-hmm. and their animals are stuck in sympathetic tone because they're in training to their pet parent. So you may think, you know, my dog is fine. It's laying there and sleeping all day long when I'm not home. But you don't realize that, All of the energy that you're putting out, that animal is in training to that. That's a physics principle. It's not even woo-woo. So when they're in training to that, you are releasing neurochemicals that are sending signals to your cell. They're in training to that same signal, and they're sending those chemicals to their cells. So that whole sympathetic tone is turning off their ability to rest, repair, and digest, right? You're in in, in balance. And detox, exactly. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. So the first thing that we do in our spa centers is we get our patients into a parasympathetic state. And we use a machine to do that because it's kind of hard to train an animal how to meditate and how to breathe (laughs) differently. We can do that, but our animals can't. So we use a machine that surrounds them with a parasympathetic frequencies. And that way they just entrain to that and it brings them back into a parasympathetic state. And then from there, they can do their salt therapy. They can do their ozone. They can do their lymphatic therapy. They can do their hyperbaric oxygen. They do crystal light fusion therapy all these different things that are balancing, detoxifying, supporting the innate intelligence of the body to go back to doing its job. Our bodies are naturally designed to handle stress, detoxify chemicals, and preserve cell function. But when the burden increases, those naturally built-in systems can't keep up with demand and we start to experience physiological changes in our bodies. What causes that burden to increase? Unfortunately, a whole list of things, including common modern lifestyle habits like poor dietary choices, lack of sleep, abundance of stress, exposure to chemicals, and exercise extremes, just to name a few. To protect ourselves from this oxidative stress, our bodies are forced to use up stores of the master antioxidant glutathione. And this works for a while. But when those stores become used up, however, our body doesn't have enough antioxidant capacity to protect itself, allowing the stress to our body's systems to cause lasting damage. That's why I recommend many of my patients take glutathione daily to help protect their natural reserves, support full detoxification capacity, and help keep their immune systems functioning at full strength. Use code glutathione for 10% off at yourlongevityblueprint.com. Now, back to the show. Okay, I only have a few questions for you left. Uh, So I want to talk a little bit about, well, I should say I operate a hormone replacement therapy clinic, right? And so I know that if humans get hysterectomies earlier in life, they may need some hormone replacement therapy specifically for bone health, heart health, you know, cognition, memory, whatnot. So is it 
dangerous for us to be essentially giving animals hysterectomies, like we're neutering and spading these animals at a young age, can they end up with bone loss and cardiovascular challenges and, and even memory issues as well? I mean, I'm just, again, if we're applying the same concepts that we do to from humans to animals, is that a danger? And should we actually not be neutering or spading them at such young of an age? Am I, is my train of thinking correct here? Would you agree with that or not? I think you did a good job in qualifying the age at which we do it because there are pros and cons to everything. So the con to not spaying and neutering is we see a higher incidence of, for females, infected uteruses, a lot higher. So we get a lot more pyometrias, which are potentially life-threatening. We see more breast cancer. We see a lot of behavioral problems because you're going to get male when the female comes into heat, of course they're bleeding and you get a lot of males that are trying to jump the fence. You can, then you have a puppy population that, you know, we're already inundated with too many dogs that we can't find homes for. Although COVID did a great job in helping to empty the shelters, but you know, not everybody is going to take good care of that pet either. So it's not just about getting them into a home is can these people actually take care of these animals in a sustainable way. And then on the male side, we see a lot of prostatic disease, and we see testicular cancers. I Last week, I literally just took a testicular tumor, a dog that had, had retained testicles. Both of them were retained in the abdomen, so they never descended. And every year, the, the dog was five. So every year, the owner was doing an ultrasound to make sure there wasn't a problem. Guess what? This year, there was a problem. We could see a huge testicle in there. And it turned out to be a Sertoli cell tumor. So there's always going to be the pros and cons. I think that the biggest issue is not just are these animals getting these diseases because they are spayed or not spayed, but how much of it is related to all the other toxicity that we're doing from processed foods and toxic water. So is it the amount of load that they're getting that is causing them to tip over the edge? Is it the spaying that's a problem and the neutering that's a problem? Or if you leave them intact, is it any better? I think it's such a complex question and and it's answered both in health prevention along with behavioral issues. If anybody has a male dog that's intact and they can control their behavior and they don't let them pee all over the house, you know, there's ways that we can control that. For some people, they're really dedicated and they'll do that. For others, it's just too much for them. And the dog's trying to escape and they're marking their territory and they're humping. And so I think each case is going to be the individual owner looking at their particular situation, what are they capable of if they don't spay or neuter? What is the behaviors that they're going to need to anticipate and be able to monitor and mitigate? And it's all about mitigation, right? And then, and if they do, can they wait a little bit longer, at least let them get to sexual maturity before they do it? Which means what? Like how old is is that? Uh, Typically closer to a year of age instead of, you know, in the shelters, they're doing them at eight weeks. Yeah. I think that's, not a good idea. You know, even though there's been 10 year retrospective studies showing that there's no deleterious effects, I don't know that they're measuring for the right things. Right. And, you know, back to the question, are we getting bone disease and cardiac disease and incontinence because of the spaying and neutering or combination of all these other toxins that they're doing? And no one's even pointing a finger at that. So I think what's going to have to happen is I think we're going to have to clean up the diet, clean up the water, clean up the environment, and then start looking at statistics. How much do we actually see of 
these diseases in the non-spayed categories or non-neutered categories. And that's going to be the only way that we're really going to be able to make an educated decision. That being said, there are now ovary sparing techniques. There are techniques where just the ovaries are taken out and the uterus is left. There's a lot of different things that are being tried. Mm-hmm. Again, pros and cons. So you have to decide on, you have to be a learned pet parent to, to know what is the right thing to do. And I don't think there's a, a right or wrong answer. I think it's all going to be dependent on the circumstances and that particular owner and those pets. Yeah, good answer. Well, hopefully after listening to this, we're all going to be more learned pet parents. So as we wrap up the show here, I have to ask what your top longevity tip would be. You can answer for humans or for pets, or maybe it's the same for both. It's the same for both. It's reducing the toxic load, supporting the organs of elimination, and making sure the essential nutrients are provided so that the body can do its job. It's really that simple. If you want to have longevity, you have to do the things that the centurions do. And included in that list is your attitude, which we didn't really talk about emotions in this particular segment, but emotions are huge. If you can stay in gratitude and compassion and love and harmony, you are going to have a much healthier, happier life. When you are angry and bitter and shaming and blaming and, you know, doing those kind of things, you're just creating a lot of negative energy. And we all need to take responsibility for our own health, for the health of our pets and our children and make those decisions. They may not be the easiest ones, but they're really not hard. They're just different. It's just not the fast, cheap and convenient, but it's so rewarding for me. I I love growing my own food. There's some work involved, but you know what? Every day I'm out there and I'm pulling weeds and I'm trimming stuff and I'm thinking, wow, I'm feeding my microbiome Yeah, (laughs) yeah, because I'm taking in trillions of new organisms. Yay me. They're in my nose. They're in my mouth. They're on my skin. And it's a wonderful way of reconnecting back to why are we here on planet earth? And we chose to come to earth school for a reason. And I think it's finding our purpose and our passion and the things that light us up and sharing that with the world so that at the end of the day, we leave the world in a better place than we found it. I love it. Love it. Tell me where listeners can connect with you and order your dog food as well. DrMarleneSiegel.com is the easiest. It's D-R-Marlene, M-A-R-L-E-N-E, Siegel, S like in Sam, I-E, G like in George, E-L.com. So DrMarleneSiegel.com is the main hub for everything. From there, you can find the food. You can find my hospital site, which I have a ton of blogs, a ton of stories, a lot of videos. So there's just a lot of information. It's all free. And then of course, the holistichealingvet.com where they can download the six steps to healing, which we just talked about. I think it's five steps to healing because the sixth is the emotional part. And I didn't put that in the ebook, but that those are the keys. And thank you so much for including our fur babies in your world. (laughs) And I'm so grateful that we are really bringing the fur babies in because I personally believe that they are the angelic realm that is here to guide us, help us, teach us, encourage us, and make this the world that we intended it to be. Well, this has been incredible. I'm sure my listeners are going to just gain so much information and I'm going to want to connect with you further. And I got to convince my husband to convert Lily over to your dog food. (laughs) Super easy. And and yeah, we shipped your door. So super easy. I look forward to checking that out and also getting my free download as well. So 
thank you so much today for all the time you spent um, coming on the show and motivating us pet parents that we really can do better for our fur babies and helping equip us with the tools to do such. So thanks again. This was awesome. Holy smokes, I could have interviewed her for another hour. The more questions I asked, the more curious and interested I became in applying functional medicine principles to my fur baby. Dr. Siegel really made me think about the food, water, air quality, and toxic exposures our dog has. If you want to learn more from Dr. Siegel and download her free gift, Five Steps to Healing Pets Using a Holistic Approach, visit HolisticHealingVet.com. And don't be surprised if you see my dog Lily here at the clinic one day for her first sauna experience. Lastly, if you loved this episode, please share it with another pet parent. Be sure to check out my book, Your Longevity Blueprint. And if you aren't much of a reader, you're in luck. You can now take my course online where I walk you through each chapter in the book. Plus, for a limited time, the course is 50% off. Check this offer out at yourlongevityblueprint.com and click the course tab. One of the biggest things you can do to support the show and help us reach more listeners is to subscribe to the show. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I do read all the reviews and would truly love to hear your suggestions for show topics, guests, and for how you're applying what you've learned on the show to create your own longevity blueprint. This podcast is produced by Team Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, wellness is waiting. The information provided in this podcast is educational. No information provided should be considered to be or used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always consult with your personal medical authority.